Good morning, everyone. Um, Our reading today is going to be Mark 3, 1 through 6. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Well, thank you, Rachel, for reading for us this morning. Well, perhaps it seems a little strange to you this morning that we're jumping back, having celebrated Easter, we're now hearing a story all about Jesus, and a story perhaps that contributed towards the Pharisees working so hard to put him to death on the cross. We took a break from our Mark 2 and 3 sermon series so that we would be able to celebrate Easter and now we're back on track with our sermon series. So let me just explain that first of all. Now, I'm going to do my best to be succinct this morning to keep it short and sweet and to the point because there's a lot of different places a message like this could go. And uh, the clock in the room here needs updating to having sprung forwards. And so if I look at the clock, I could preach for a good hour and 20 minutes rather than 20 to 25 minutes. And I've promised people that that won't happen. So why don't we keep it really simple this morning? Uh, My sermon title this morning, if you're a keen note taker, and I've heard a bit like uh, some theme parks, if you take notes, you get a fast track pass to heaven. I think that's probably heresy, but it sounds like it could be true. Possibly it should be true even. Uh, So let me do encourage you that taking notes is such a good way to be able to reflect back on the message later. And I think it's really important that we don't just hear sermons, fill our heads up with them, Leave church smiling, turn church off if you're at home at the end of the morning, click, there goes the telly, and then not do anything about it. In fact, I think one of the great challenges that the church struggles with is that we have more head knowledge than heart knowledge. And by that, I mean simply that we we know more about Jesus than we are living out. Does that sound like that might be true to anybody this morning? And so a story like this, a life and death story, the unfolding purpose of Jesus and Jesus' ministry, but also Jesus' purpose in coming to earth is hinted at within this passage. And it's so tempting to spend so much time diving into all sorts of different pieces of theology You could dive into the theology of healing, and that could be many, many weeks of sermon content, a very long sermon series at least. There's a mention of the Sabbath, and just a couple of weeks ago, Rachel came and shared a message 
her first message, in fact, on the Sabbath. And uh, for a first time out preaching, I think we were very encouraged and thought she did a good job. And if you haven't seen that, you can scroll back two weeks from today and re-watch that. We could spend a great deal of time defining what is good within the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees clearly think they know what's good. Jesus is about to tell them what's good, and it makes them really cross. <laughs> we could have a long sermon series on the subject of righteousness and the perspective of Jesus in defining righteousness within the world, redefining the Bible through the very heart of God and putting straight all of those things that the people who claimed to be the people of God had got wrong, but Jesus helped them rethink the religious heart that they had developed that was all about keeping the rules and the law rather than honoring their Father in heaven. There's a lot of different places you could go with a sermon like this. And so I wanted to do just a very simple sermon covering all of these topics. And it's going to take about an hour and... No, I'm kidding. I've already promised it won't be an hour and 20, but it could be, I guess, is what I'm saying. And, and actually, as you read your Bibles, I think as, as we read our Bibles, sometimes we just read and read and read and read and read and read and read. And we forget to stop and to reflect on the beautiful simplicity of the work and ministry of Jesus. And so I wanted to just draw a couple of those thoughts out for us this morning. You see, one of the things I see in this passage is further clarification on what the Sabbath is. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I listened back to Rachel's sermon from the other week. And I thought she did a great job. But if I was to try and preach Sabbath, I think I could probably distill it to one sentence. You fulfill the Sabbath by honoring God. You fulfill the Sabbath by honoring God. You see, Rachel did a great job. And I encourage you, if you haven't heard it, to go back and listen. But... I think we get a little bit confused about what Sabbath really is. I think there are all sorts of Jewish traditions about what Sabbath is. And actually, I feel like every day we live our lives, there should be an element of Sabbath. Because one of the main things you do on the Sabbath is you take time to honor God. Some people talk about rest and they say, well, you know, we look back in creation and there's the creation ordinances there. God's establishing the, the earth and all of the rules, you know, creating gravity and the earth and the, the sky and the oceans and all of these big things are going on. And if you like science, you can get really into it as you start thinking about, well, how do we understand science as we look at the creation story? Like God's not just separating the sky and the land. He's creating an atmosphere. He's creating air. He's creating everything we need to be able to live. And it's fascinating as you see these broad brush strokes, almost throwaway remarks 
explaining these <laughs> these huge forces that whenever we go out in the sea, if you've ever been hit by a wave, you recognize the power of the ocean and, and God manages to make the oceans. <laughs> how big, how amazing, how awesome is God? And so we consider Sabbath and, you know, we, Jesus is about to turn this whole sense of religion, how to do church right for the people of God pre his death and resurrection. He's about to turn their entire religion on its head by reinterpreting the Father's heart to the people. Not by destroying righteousness, but by fulfilling it. And I think a trend within the church that's a mistake that we need to be so careful of is that our theology of love isn't always within the light of Christ. It's almost as though we think we can be more loving than Jesus. By telling people that God is love, we sometimes mistakenly forget that actually the love of God is the fulfillment of the law through Christ which we could never have managed by ourselves, that only grace by faith can we truly come into the presence of God. And for us, we have this opportunity, this regular appointment to come and spend time with our Heavenly Father, to rest in the presence of God. And people talk about Sabbath being about rest, focusing God on God, taking our burdens and laying them at the feet of Jesus. I heard one message talk about Sabbath being an opportunity to do that. And I guess I don't want to re-preach that whole message because that was a great message, but I do want to add to it and say, we need to spend more time seeking our Heavenly Father. We do need to spend time resting in his goodness and his presence. We do need to learn to practice that rhythm of heaven, that cyclical pattern that goes round and round. Whether it's celebrating great feasts, Christmas, Easter. Whether it's remembering to establish a daily quiet time spend time to draw away and to rest in the presence of God. You see, these people are angry because Jesus is about to do a God thing and they suspect that he's going to do something. And so the Pharisees are watching Jesus to see, is he going to break one of the rules about what you should or shouldn't do? And does a miracle, does God choosing to perform a miracle constitute Breaking the rules of the Sabbath, yes or no? It's very easy from our, our Christian perspective, in light of the cross of Christ, to say, well, of course he doesn't break the rules of the Sabbath. He's God. He can do whatever he likes. In fact, some people say the best definition of the word theology is watching what God does and making careful note of it. <laughs> In short, God is going to do what God is going to do. 
And if that isn't reason for prayer, I don't know what is. You see, we need to remember to focus on God more and our situation, our life circumstance less. The story we've just heard, the the story of the man with the withered hand, in that day and age, that would be truly debilitating. In so many ways, with prosthetics and with disability awareness, we've done great things. We've made real strides in helping people who have a disability to be able to live fuller lives. And in this day and age, when people worked and had such a manual job so much of the time, I'm sure that made it near impossible for him to be able to do just about anything. And so we have this story of, of Jesus seeing this person in their need And it simply says his hand was restored. And just like that Genesis account where God's just doing things, you know, there we go, sky, (laughs) land, light, dark, (laughs) day, night, animals, people. I think we very easily lose perspective on who God is within our faith. In fact, if I was going to try and draw one thing to your attention this morning, I would say that the Pharisees have lost sight of who God is. And they have got so wrapped up in their religion, they have just missed what's happening. And it's easy to take pot shots at the Pharisees. In fact, I haven't yet seen a preacher decline the opportunity to go, you shouldn't do that. (laughs) That's obviously stupid and wrong. (laughs) But how many times do we do the same? How many times do we lose our way in our walk with Christ? How many times can we turn around and say, but I've kept all of your laws, all of your statutes, all of your requirements. I try and live according to your word. And then recognize that it's been a week since we last had a a time with Jesus for ourselves. Or we can say, you know, I faithfully watched the services all through the pandemic. I took part in being a part of church online and You know, I started out on Sundays, then it was Tuesdays, then it was Thursdays, then I was trying to make sure that I'd watch them on the Saturday before the next Sunday came out, and then I got a little bit out of practice, and lockdown was really hard, and, you know, I'm not sharing anyone's specific story. I've I've heard this from various people over lockdown, and lockdown was hard, is hard. And I'm not saying that to make anyone feel condemned like they've missed the point or they've not been good enough. But actually, it's so easy to lose our way. It's so easy to lose sight of Jesus. You know, the most amazing thing about the Pharisees to me 
is that they have spent their lives, their lives longing for Jesus to come. The whole nation of Israel was longing for their saviour to come. And they totally miss him. You see, Jesus comes in this story and he sees a person in need. He sees the Pharisees watching and he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or harm? How best shall I keep the law? How best shall I follow God? Is the principle of doing nothing more important or is the principle of helping somebody in need more important? What does it look like to keep the law? You know, I think we continue to struggle with that question. What's the right thing to do? What's the right thing to do? And people come up with all sorts of different answers about what the right thing or the wrong thing might be. And I think part of what it is to be church is to come together and to focus on God, to read his word. And still sometimes we find ourselves looking at our everyday lives and asking, what is the right thing here to do? And what an amazing thing to be able to pray and seek God. What an amazing thing to be able to turn to God and trust in his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his purposes, more than our own understanding. What an incredible thing to be able to pray. What an incredible thing to be able to turn to the word of God and see if it lines up with the person of Christ. What an incredible thing to be surrounded by brothers and sisters who believe the same as you, who want to see God's best for you. What an amazing thing to be able to pray for one another, that we might more fully understand God's best and God's purposes. Because everything that we do is supposed to honour Christ. You see, if you leave this message with one question in your minds, perhaps it will be this one. What would Jesus do? See, if you grew up in the, the 90s or were around for the early 2000s and this might feel like a cliche if you're around at those times within the church. You couldn't be a Christian teenager without at least 15 what would Jesus do wristbands going all the way to about your elbow, it seemed. But I think that question is one that 
just as the wristbands seem to lose their popularity, so too has asking the question. And I think when the church stops asking that question, we really get ourselves into trouble. Being a Baptist church, part of our ecclesiology, the way we do church, basically, is that we try and practice putting God's perspective first when we come together as members. And you see, we have these things called members meetings and Sometimes people mistake them for a democratic process and actually they couldn't be further from a democratic process in reality because they're all about coming together and seeking to understand God's perspective, praying and asking God for his leading so that we might be able to do things his way. It's not about having our say, it's about being led by the Lord. You know, there are various different church structures and I think... They're all us trying to work out how best to follow Jesus at their core. And I think the Baptist way of doing it can be an incredible blessing to the church when done well. When done badly, goodness me. (laughs) And I think the way we do church as a Baptist church the way we see this story unfold. The root question is the same one. The root question is the same one. How can we best honour the Lord? In asking what would Jesus do, we're saying how can we best honour Jesus? How can we most fully look, walk and be like him? And however you define Sabbath, what seems obvious is that honouring Jesus doesn't stop on that day, right? (laughs) You might have heard, if you've been around our church for a while, and if you haven't, I'm going to summarise succinctly, that we spend a lot of time talking about what it means to serve an audience of one. You see, the world we live in, (laughs) and uh, it feels a little bit ridiculous to talk about, actually, because it seems absurd that we've even got to this point with this thing that they're calling cancel culture, you know, the idea that someone does something wrong and so we cancel it right away. Someone says something wrong, quick, fire them. (laughs) Somebody makes a mistake, quick, get rid. And so that's why it's so important that as the church, we remember who it is we're serving and how he encourages us to lead our lives. You know, as Christians, I think sometimes the outside world looking in thinks that we have signed up to get it right all of the time. That the only way we can be good Christians is to get it right all of the time. And that simply isn't true. (laughs) If we could get it right, we would have been able to keep the law. We wouldn't have needed Jesus to come. And so that's why it's so important we remember that we serve an audience of one. 
We want our Heavenly Father to look at us and be proud of the way we're living. And so we do all that we can to put him first, to seek first the kingdom, knowing that everything else will be added. But by seeking first the kingdom, by putting Jesus first, by asking, what would Jesus do? We don't need to get into long conversations about how best to fulfill the Sabbath. We simply ask, what would Jesus do? As we try and work out what serving an audience of one means, we recognize that the audience that we're living for is our Heavenly Father. We're seeking to, to see God, to honor God, to trust in the Lord. And that because of Jesus, we're able to do our best and be acceptable to God by his grace and forgiveness through Christ. And that as we ask, what would Jesus do? We're encouraged just as often as we are to serve, to rest. And I, I don't mean putting your feet up and sitting on the sofa for 15 hours and not really doing anything. I mean remembering to rest in the presence of God. And as Jesus asks his question of the Pharisees, what is the right thing to do? What do you think I should do? Some think that that's a rhetorical question. Others think that he was trying to give them an opportunity not to be the Pharisees in this story, but to have another go at getting it right. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? And he was grieved by their hardness of heart. I guess that's what I'm drawing out for us this morning. I want God never to be grieved by our hardness of heart. What would Jesus do? That's what we need to keep asking ourselves. What would Jesus do? And as we read this life and death story, the life transformation for this man whose hand is restored, a death story for the Pharisees whose hardness of heart is going to mean that they miss Jesus who they've been longing for. The reality is we live life and death stories. We live life and death stories every single day. And if we aren't asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? And that includes resting. It's not just about working hard. Rest is a core component of this. But if we stop asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? Then the man with the withered hand goes away with a withered hand. The Pharisees go away patting themselves on the back, having thought that they got it right when they got it completely wrong. And I don't think we can go so far as to say God isn't glorified because God is always glorified. But our opportunity to be salt and light in the world is so easily missed. 
I heard a story just this week about a church where they have a, a larger staff than us. And so for their staff meetings, which they have once a week, they, they would all gather together this big staff of people. And they started saying, you know, if people don't have a testimony to share from their, their week, it's probably best that they don't come to staff meeting. And that sounds a little bit hard at first, but actually, if we don't keep asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? If we don't keep putting ourselves in a place where we can be used by God, and if we haven't got a testimony where God has used us because it's so clear that God is looking for people that he can use for his purposes, to share in his glory, to share in his work. While it might seem a, a stark, hard even, at first thought story. I don't think any of us want to be surviving on last year's testimonies. I think actually our lives are full of opportunity to draw close to God, to say, what would Jesus do? And to have something meaningful to share because Jesus continues to minister again and again by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But if we don't ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? We miss the opportunity to be used by Jesus. And you know, we've got the opportunity to be servants of Jesus. To be used by Jesus for his glory and for his purpose. That these life and death stories that we encounter every single day and because of our familiarity with the world and the foreignness of the power of God, the spiritual forces, light and dark, waging war all around us, we so easily get caught up in the mundane and the minutiae that we miss the purposes of Jesus. It would be so easy for us to have hard hearts and to be the same frustration that Jesus comes across in the Pharisees. And here's the amazing thing. I'm, I'm wrapping up here in case you're wondering. I did threaten to preach for an hour and 20 minutes and I promised I wouldn't. <laughs> but you see, at the end of this passage... Jesus says, stretch out your hand, and the man's hand is restored. And then we get to verse 6. And in verse 6, it says, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. And here's my last point. God is able to use you. To his glory. The Pharisees are about to be a part of Jesus' story, Jesus' glory. But perhaps not in the way that they would have hoped. You see, God's plans are never thwarted, his plans, his purposes are never prevented by our faithlessness, by our hard-heartedness, by our weakness or frailties. 
And you see, God's purposes are about to be totally fulfilled because God's purpose in this story is that Jesus would go to the cross, and we celebrated that just last Sunday, Jesus' death and resurrection. And the Pharisees are about to play their part. They play their part again and again and again, and as they play their part again and again and again, Jesus gets closer and closer to the cross every time they have an interaction with him. It seems like that's where this is going to end up. And of course it does. You see, God is glorified in spite of what we do. And so the opportunity to us is to be a part of the glory and purpose of God. God is glorified in spite of what we do. And so our opportunity is to be a part of God's story of grace. And it's really simple. It sounds like it might be complicated to work out what your part is going to be. But it's really simple. In fact, sometimes I think we've overcomplicated Christianity and people begin to think the only way I'm going to be able to to minister faithfully, to be a part of church, to do church, is if I go and I get a degree, I go to seminary, I become a pastor, I do some preachings, but I don't really feel like that's what I'm meant to do. Or we think, well, the only way I could ever be really effective is if I learn how to do this, that, and the other, and then maybe if I was on staff as a children's worker or the youth pastor or the, the worship leader, I think the risk is we professionalize Christianity to the point when church stops being a team sport where everybody plays. More than that, I think church is meant to be a family sport where everybody is encouraged. And so for us, I think the opportunity for us to be a part of God's purpose and plans are as simple as this. What would Jesus do? You see, when we ask that question, what would Jesus do? Already we've reorientated our perspective to God's. Already we've stopped asking, what do I want to do? What do I feel like doing? What do I feel like I'm good at? And we've started serving an audience of one. We've started saying, what is God going to do and how can I join in? We instantly become nothing like the Pharisees who think they know it all, but don't know the one who is the king of heaven and earth, who is God's sent one, the one that they've been waiting for. And in an instant, whether it's healing, saving a life, goodness, living in the light of Christ, rejecting dead religion, dead faith, rule and law, and recognizing what it is to be a part of the family of God. With that one question, we manage to ask ourselves, which really at the end of the day, 
comes down to the person of God, serving an audience of one and ministering under the power of the Holy Spirit by asking this one simple question, what would Jesus do? We manage to avoid bad religion and recognize righteousness through relationship with God. You see, God's plans, God's purposes, God's work, his ministry in the earth moves forwards with or without us. God is calling the lost home. And we're surrounded by friends and neighbours, family and strangers, all of whom need more of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to recognize your goodness and grace. Help us to ask ourselves, what would you do? How can we be more like you? How can we serve you more fully? We ask that you would help us to recognize the true significance of Sabbath, to spend time with you in the light of Christ. We pray that we would know you more fully in our lives. And as we ask this question, what would Jesus do? We thank you that your word is so full of examples and answers. We pray that you'd bless us, help us to see the opportunity to serve you and to answer that question. We pray that you'd continue to build your kingdom here, build your church, we pray. And Father, whether we're in the room this morning or whether we're sat at home, watching live or perhaps catching up online, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that all we need to do is turn to you to seek your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name.